The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, a standoff on the Hill to fund or not to fund the government. Former Republican House Majority Leader Eric Cantor on suspending the debt ceiling and roadblocks in the Senate. There's no question that the Democrats have a path out of this, and I believe in the end are going to take care of this. And make the most of your Amex. The points guy, Brian Kelly, has tips for smart charges to your credit card. I've actually noticed that frequent flyer miles have become more valuable because they give more flexibility. If you want to cancel that trip for whatever reason, you can get all your miles back. Those stories plus Fed Chair Jay Powell speaks. And inside Theranos founder Elizabeth Holmes' trial and her private text messages. CNBC's Yasmin Corum has all the details. These text messages paint a picture of Elizabeth Holmes that we all knew, a cool, confident CEO. It's completely different than the Elizabeth Holmes we are seeing inside and outside this courthouse. It's Thursday, September 23rd, 2021. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Becky by in three, two, one, cue please. Good morning. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. We're going to start with the markets this morning. The Dow jumped by 338 points yesterday. That broke a four-day losing streak. It also posted its best daily performance since July 20th. The jump came right after the Fed's announcement. Andrew? Thanks, Becky. Meantime, stocks closing higher after that Fed indicated that uh, rate hikes could be coming sooner than expected. And that it would start pulling back on some of the stimulus it's been providing, although it didn't give a specific timeline. Now, the central bank also significantly, this important, cut its economic outlook for the year. Here are some key moments from Fred Chair Powell's news conference. Demand for labor is very strong, and job gains averaged 750,000 per month over the past three months. In August, however, job gains slowed markedly, with the slowdown concentrated in sectors most sensitive to the pandemic including leisure and hospitality. I guess my own view would be that that the test, the substantial further progress test for employment, is all but met. While no decisions were made, participants generally view that, so long as the recovery remains on track, a gradual tapering process that concludes around the middle of next year is likely to be appropriate. The bottlenecks and shortages that, that that we're seeing in the economy have really not begun to abate in a meaningful way yet. A lot of questions, that the journal notes, that had to be asked about insider trading, I guess. Someone had to ask them. But across the middle of the country, where people that had small wage gains recently, but inflation eating right. away, maybe more questions about inflation, or, or maybe that is something that would be more front of mind for most people about what the Fed is doing and keeping assets so high, which adds to income inequality uh, and everything else. So, I mean, you got to ask those questions, I guess. And people love a good, you know, oh, these guys, they're, what would you call them? They're in a privileged position, so they got privileged information, so they're all a bunch of rich fat cats. And, you know, these are the guys in the government, it's all the swamp. 
But what, what we really ought to be worried about is what they're doing, not in their, not holding muni bonds, but what they're doing in terms of what could be a monetary mistake. I, I think the soundbite we just played from him, that last one, talking about how they haven't begun to abate, the inflationary signs haven't begun to abate in any meaningful way. Is that a step back and kind of an acknowledgement that maybe this is not as transitory, the inflation, as we'd originally anticipated? I think it is. And I think eventually, I think years from now, we will look back at, and we will show that video. And by we, I mean them. <laughs> oh, no, but we will show that video of them making the, the transitory claim. And I, I think it's going to turn out to be in a different place, don't you think? I just, once again, anecdotally, the chip shortage is real. Right. I mean, you cannot buy. Like, I'm still, I don't know. I got a meeting my at the White House somewhere today. in frickin' Germany. It's, I, you know, it's like may eventually leave the port. I got to turn my old car in anyway, so I don't know. I'm going to be, yeah, I hope I, I mean, right. But, then, but, but then the question, the, so is it, the, the supply chain is a big deal. And what right. about housing? That could be a transition. What happened to issue. housing? Why is no one buying houses? Because I think not because, not because the demand is down. I think that there's no supply. So people have given up right. and prices are too high. So that would reflect inflation and, too. And I think FedEx, if you looked at their earnings report, I think this was a big sign of it. Because I, when, I, when I read through what they were saying, just that they have to pay so much more for labor right now and there are still labor shortages and that it's not going away anytime soon. I, I mean, once you start paying more for these employees to come in, I don't see that don't unwinding less, at right? some point either. I feel bad for the car dealers. This guy said that this is, you know, we thought we were going to have some hard rain. This has been a hurricane that we've been dealing with in terms of no product yeah. to be able to people come in. You came in. Yeah, but some of these guys are selling it, you know, 30 percent over sticker. Used cars. Not can. new, you can't get any new cars. No, but you want a new. I'm saying new right. yeah, 30 yeah, yeah, yeah. over sticker. Used right. cars, the margin. Right. So I, I'm not crying at the moment. Where's, where's well, I'm not, I'm not, from Carvana? You can I mean, cry for me, please. Oh, okay, <laughs> for you. Carless. Yes. No, if, look, if you want to buy a, a refrigerator or a couch. By Friday, yeah. Yeah, it's a problem. Yesterday, the FDA authorized the Pfizer COVID booster shot for people 65 and older. Remember the FDA panel said that would be okay. Other vulnerable Americans, immune compromised or with underlying conditions, six months, six months after they have completed their first two doses. That means many Americans would be eligible uh, to receive the shots now. And digging into that vulnerable term, the agency used a broad definition, including people who have medical conditions that place them at the risk of getting severely sick and uh, people who have frequent institutional or occupational exposure. That opens the door uh, for frontline workers, for the CDC to potentially clear uh, uh, third doses for people in nursing homes, prisons, frontline health workers, uh, and other essential employees who were among the first to get the initial shots uh, last December. And the CDC uh, could give final approval for the booster shots uh, to proceed at a vote scheduled for this afternoon, but just like we saw the original EUA was enough for a lot of people. I don't know, but I, I think we need to do Moderna. Half the people got Moderna instead of Pfizer, where there's no right. boosters for Moderna. But that, they don't that's going to be in a couple of they, weeks. They'll yeah, have their data. They don't data need them as much. Moderna. You may well, not no, need them as Moder much Moderna's just not done with the data yet. I, I, yeah, I think that that will be probably cleared in the near future, too. Yeah. No, it appears to be a little bit more durable. So maybe maybe you get a couple months extra out of it. I don't know. We'll see. But we'll also see the, the interesting part about weeks. the booster shot that Moderna is creating is it's actually a different um, amount in the booster. So right now the Pfizer booster it's is the same, the same as the amount. Second shot. Right. The Moderna booster is going to be 
some fraction of what the a little bit less yeah. of what the other one was. And, and I guess that leads to not only does the data have to be com- to come before the FDA and they have to clear it, but that would mean that you would then need to get different shots out to distribute it to all of these right. places. Right. Um, Makes it a little the, the doing it the way Moderna is doing it will make it more complicated. It may be the right way to do it, but it does. Former Theranos CEO Elizabeth Holmes is on trial defending herself against 12 counts of wire fraud and conspiracy to commit wire fraud. CNBC has obtained thousands of private text messages between Holmes and her COO and then boyfriend, Sonny Balwani. Now, I want to get straight over to CNBC producer Yasmin Coram, who's been in the courtroom every day of this trial and obtained these text messages. So tell us what's in them. Andrew, I obtained thousands of text messages between Elizabeth Holmes and Sonny Balwani. These texts and Skype messages span from 2011 to 2016, which we know is when their relationship, both personally and professionally, ended when he left Theranos. Let me paint a picture of what these text messages show about Elizabeth Holmes. They show she was a very confident CEO. Let's take the first example from 2014. Elizabeth Holmes texts Sonny Balwani, total confidence in myself best business person of the year. Sunny responds to her, awesome, you are listening and paying attention. Another example, Elizabeth is boasting about the money that's flowing in from the Theranos investors. She texts Sunny, just finished calls, Alice Walton in for 50. Alice Walton is of course of the Walmart fame. The Walton family ended up investing about $150 million into Theranos. Sunny responds to this text message. They are not investing in our company. They are investing in our destiny. That, of course, is a much different destiny than what ended up happening. As you mentioned, they're fighting a dozen charges, very serious charges and potential prison time. I do have to add that I did reach out to attorneys for Balwani and attorneys for Holmes. They they declined to comment. Okay, so Yasmin, what does this tell us, though, about her and her defense uh, case in terms of how she's trying to going to want to paint herself. Does this help or hurt her? You know, it could go both ways. This, these text messages paint a picture of Elizabeth Holmes that we all knew a cool, confident CEO. But I have to tell you, Andrew, that it's completely different than the Elizabeth Holmes we are seeing inside and outside this courthouse. I've been covering this case for three years and she has been silent. We throw her questions outside as she's walking in. She ignores all of them. In fact, I've jumped in the elevator with her and her attorneys before and tried to chat her up, and she doesn't say anything. Their MO is clearly to keep her silent, which is a complete contrast to the Elizabeth Holmes you and I saw just years ago, making the media rounds, appearing on every magazine appearing on these television networks, it really begs the question, who is the real Elizabeth Holmes? But Yasmin, did, are there, does the timeline go to the point where any of the text messages say, wait a minute, you're telling me that this doesn't work and, and that the, the entire technology that we built the company on is a, is a fraud? Is there anything like that? I, I mean, confidence is great, but is there any uh, indication that she knew that it was all built on a, you know, a house of cards. None of it was real. None of that. They, they, do, they do talk about some issues with their Edison blood testing technology. 
Uh, they don't text about anything related to fraud, but they do mention about issues within the company. They mention about uh, some exits of employees. They mention about some turmoil within the company. They talk about the former Wall Street Journal reporter, John Carreyrou, and him, you know, getting... Uh, talking to these employees within the company and how they can squash that. They do bring up these issues. Did the CEO not know? It doesn't Or Maybe the CEO didn't know that the technology didn't work. Is that uh, that would be my defense, I guess. There there is the paper trail that shows that she was aware the government has. Right. Well, there's, there's nothing in the text that betrays the idea that she is nervous at any point or anxious at any point that the technology isn't working or that they have to use these other testing machines to verify um, or in some cases just do the test unto itself? Yeah, there's again, there's text messages that show that, you know, they were that they were worried. There's one that Sony sends to Elizabeth that actually came out in, you know, uh, government testimony that said that said the Normandy lab is a expletive disaster. So they knew that there were issues, definitely. Yasmin, I've seen some of the texts too. You know, the defense that we've heard at this point is that, you know, Sonny Balwani was the one who was controlling things and that uh, she was under his thumb with some of those things. That was going to be probably one of their defense strategies. We all saw the bombshell uh, documents that were unsealed a few weeks ago. Elizabeth Holmes is claiming some very serious things. She said that Sonny Balwani... Uh, abused her both mentally and physically. It's allegations that Sonny Balwani categorically denies. I looked through, you know, 600 pages of these text messages. And what I saw were text messages between two individuals who are in a relationship. But again, these messages are only one piece of the puzzle. And as you guys know, this is a very big puzzle. And it's going to put If Elizabeth does take the stand, it's going to be a monumental moment because we really have not heard from Elizabeth Holmes, you know, her side of the story. Yasmin, it is great to see you. We appreciate uh, you walking us through this and reporting on this as diligently as you have. And uh, we we're looking for updates and progress. And uh, boy, is it a courtroom drama. So thank you. Thank you. Coming up, the clock is ticking again on the country's debt ceiling. Former Majority Leader Eric Cantor on the Congressional Calculus. I don't believe we're going to see either a shutdown or a default. And we've seen this movie before. Everybody reverses depending on where they sit. That's what happens every time. There's sort of a sick hypocrisy to it. I will actually agree with you there, but... There are good things to spend money on. Two wrongs do not make a right. More Squawk Pod after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.
Dan Joe Bai. This is Squawk Pod with Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Here's Joe. The debt limit drama has Wall Street uh, plotting out some worst-case scenarios and some big risks uh, to the economy. Ilan Moy joins us now with more. Hey, Ilan. Oh, good morning, Joe. Goldman Sachs is calling the current debt limit showdown the riskiest in a decade. Analysts there project the Treasury Department would face a $500 billion shortfall for October and November if Congress does not raise the debt ceiling. Now, that would trigger a 40 percent cut in federal spending, potentially including interest payments, Social Security checks and military pay. Now, even just a delay in increasing the limit could be damaging as well. In a letter to Congress yesterday, six former Treasury secretaries said, quote, postponing action to raise the debt limit until too close to the deadline undermines confidence in our political system at home and abroad. Now, it is important to note that both Democrats and Republicans agree that default would be catastrophic and that the debt ceiling should be raised. What they're fighting over is who should actually do it. Don't play Russian roulette with our economy. Step up and raise the debt ceiling to cover all that you've been engaged in all year long. Now, complicating everything is that the debt limit is now tied to government funding, which runs out in just one week. Now, this is similar to what happened in 2013, and Moody's estimated that 16-day shutdown reduced GDP by about $20 billion, or roughly half a percentage point of growth at the time. So, guys, the worst-case scenarios are clearly bad, but even the medium-case scenarios don't look so great either. Joe? All right, Alon, thank you. This next person may know something about this. Now for a closer look at the debt ceiling uh, showdown on Capitol Hill and the potential impact uh, on the markets and investors, let's welcome Eric Kanner, former House Majority Leader, now Mullis and Company Vice Chairman and Managing Director. Uh, Eric, I mean, three and a half trillion is a lot, so I understand uh, the Republicans. If you have the House, the Senate, and the President, don't you have the ability under reconciliation to do this yourself? What's the problem? Could they do it under reconciliation? Short answer is absolutely yes, they can. And that's been Mitch McConnell's uh, point all along for the last couple of months. It's not as if he has not put the Democrats on notice that the Republicans on Capitol Hill, as because they've not been a part at all of the Biden administration and the Democrats push to spend all this money, he has said early on, Mitch has said, hey, we are not going to participate in increasing the debt limit. So again, all the people who are getting all nervous, I mean, I get this is serious stuff. You know, first of all, Joe, remember, I mean, we have been and seen this movie before. I participated in the movie before in 2011 and 2013. There's no question that the Democrats have a path out of this. And I believe in the end are going to take care of this. I think what the re- what the reticence is, is there's a, there's a few things that are standing in the way here. One is they have procedurally put themselves in a box, and it's going to take them time to get out of that box, which, of course, slows down the march towards trying to get through their $3.5 trillion spending bill. Uh, But they can decouple the debt ceiling from the continuing resolution, which is the stopgap measure to continue the funding of government so there won't be a shutdown. They can do that. Uh, And Mitch McConnell and the Republicans have said that Republicans will help support keeping the government open, just don't tie it to a debt ceiling. Again, it's just a procedural thing that will take a lot of time. The second issue is very interesting that, you know, when it comes to the debt limit, so let's say that they're going to separate out the debt limit and have a separate vote on that. 
Um, I don't believe that they're going to. Well, they've got two options, the Democrats. They could put the debt ceiling provision uh, in their large three and a half trillion reconciliation bill. The problem with that is I don't think they're going to be resolved on all those issues by the time the need for that arises in mid to late October. So their other option is to have a separate reconciliation bill aimed just at increasing the debt ceiling. The, the issue there is if you put a debt ceiling provision in reconciliation, the Democrats have to cite a sum specific as to the amount of indebtedness they'll have to incur, again, which goes back to the Democrats' disarray, which they can't decide, is it three and a half trillion? Is it a trillion and a half, two trillion? So that's sort of what's behind their reluctancy to do that. At the end of the day, back to your question, they will take care of this. Uh, and uh, I don't believe we're going to see either a shutdown or a default. They can they can take care of it without Republicans doing anything, can they not? That is correct. Well, the Republicans have to join them in funding the government, because, as you know, a, a but they said they resolution. That. But there's, that's not an issue, you, you, you said at this point. No, so I you, think I think Mitch McConnell has already said they're going to help. So the Republicans will help do that. Yes. Hearkening back to what you said, you've been through it before. I, I, I had forgotten about that. You and Boehner and President Obama had a grand bargain, a big deal, all ready to go. And now the, the, the narrative has changed. One side says that, uh, that you talk Boehner into walking away. The other side says that, that President Obama changed the entire deal after you already had an agreement. What, is, uh, listen, there, we, no. is that a matter of opinion or is there, are there facts? Are there alternate facts? So the, the, the other piece of that is Joe Biden was a central part to that as well, which was a very which is a very different Joe Biden than we see going on today, because he was the one who, you know, I met with the Biden commission three times a week for about seven or eight weeks. Uh, and we really made a lot of progress in accomplishing some spending cuts, which over the next successive years allowed the um, the budget deals to continue because those spending cuts um, actually took the place of what happened back with the time that you referred to on the sequester. Uh, but yes, I, I think there was a little bit of all of that, Joe, that, um, you know, President Obama changed the deal, uh, as well as in the Republican ranks back way back then. We didn't have the votes for any notion of what President Obama wanted at the time. As you remember, back then, you know, my party wanted to transform the entitlement so we could actually regain some fiscal integrity. And there was just not a meeting of the minds on how to do that between us and the Obama administration. Yeah, it's not why you got primaried, is it? I don't I, we, we don't we can't go in. We can't relitigate all this <laughs> well, stuff. That, in, that, uh, is, uh, <laughs> that is something that, uh, you know, we don't we don't need to. You're go in a there, better place. You know? You're in a better place. You're in a better place. I'm good. Absolutely. So. It sounds like you know, one of the things that Democrats don't want to do is show their hand on the three and a half versus two versus one and a half. What, what will Manchin go for? What, and, and, you know, it's not just Manchin and Cinema. There's some moderates in the House, theoretically. They folded pretty quickly last time. But, um, you know, the, the, the party, would you say that it, the disarray in the Democratic Party is what's responsible for the, the, the not being able to, to raise the debt limit? That's where we are. That, that is exactly where we are, because, I mean, they're going to have to get over, you know, this this difference or lack of agreement on the amount of that spending bill in order to raise the debt ceiling. Because, as I said before, they'll have to provide for a specific amount if it's in a reconciliation measure. Uh, but I think also what's driving the disarray 
um, is the prospect for increased taxes. I mean, I always go back to this, Joe. You know, my, my, the seat I used to represent was the most Republican in the Commonwealth of Virginia uh, and is now held by a Democrat. Um, and the current member of Congress, I can assure you, uh, is not excited at all in raising taxes. That is a death knell uh, to anyone sitting in that seat. So I think that, to your point, there are moderate Democrats. Yes, they have caved in terms of giving Pelosi more time. But I don't think that those suburban seats that they're in right now, I don't think those constituents want to see their member of Congress vote to increase taxes. Eric, that's what I was going to ask you about. Did, did those moderate Democrats cave? Because it, it looks like they got sort of what they asked for, which is they wanted the separation of the big infrastructure bill, the bipartisan infrastructure bill from whatever you want to call it, the social infrastructure, three and a half trillion dollar bill. They wanted a separate standalone vote on that. And they wanted that to be taken care of without consideration for whether or not they would go ahead and vote on the second. It, it looks like Nancy Pelosi said, OK, we'll vote on that by the 27th, which is Monday. And maybe it sounds like they're still sticking to that, even knowing that they don't have the other bill ready to go. Did they cave or is this they cut a deal and we'll see if leadership sticks with that deal and whether they go along with it if they don't? Well, it depends on what the conversation was as to whether there was really a deal there, because if Pelosi just committed to bringing the bill up on the 27th, so we've got that coming next week, um, and, and that was it, then, then they'll have to make the decision whether it's even a smart move uh, to execute on that deal. Because I can tell you as a leader, you, don't, you do not want to bring up a piece of legislation and have it go down on the floor. That creates all kinds of precedent votes and the rest. It is not an easy thing to overcome once you do that. So you don't think she has the votes on that net yet? No, no absolutely not. No, because the Republicans are not going to join in any scheme that helps the Democrats um, enact one of the largest tax increases ever and spend trillions of additional dollars. So then Pelosi's got to deal with her progressive caucus, and they've already said that they've got enough votes to block. Now, I'm not sure about their whip count, but I don't know if I were Pelosi, I wouldn't take that risk because of the ramifications of putting a bill on the floor that's going to go down. All right, uh, Eric Kanner, thank you. I thought, Andrew, you were I thought you were going to talk to him about it. He, he looked unhappy when you were talking about Obama and Boehner. Right? Were you, I thought you were going to get involved with something. He, I don't think he really said anything bad about Obama. Are you, 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 you want to talk to him about anything? Or? I'm cool. You I'm sure? Cool. Did, he, did he have his facts wrong or something? No, or? I don't think he had his facts wrong. Okay. I, I, look, uh, the thing, I, I was nervous, Eric. No, I, the I, only, did, I will say with this. I'm going to make one comment. Uh, okay. I welcome it. I, okay. I, I, my, I asked for my it. My comment is that when, the Democrat, when, when Republicans are in power, they, they everybody's willing that. to spend, 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 spend. When Democrats are in power, the whole thing, it, 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 everybody reverses depending on where they hey, sit. Eric, That's what happens hey, Eric, every time. There's sort of a sick hypocrisy to it. Hey, funding the defense, number one, we need oh. to, in a world we need to be safe. And cutting corporate taxes to make them globally competitive so we can compete around the world and hire people and succeed economically is, is different than throwing... Is total... Uh, look... I don't there think are good things to spend wrongs, money on. Two wrongs do not make a right. I do not support the idea of spending too much money. I find it completely hypo uh, hypocritical that depending on who is sitting in the okay. seat, so everybody is willing to spend money or right. not spend money. I, again, 
I think we need to we he need to run a balanced budget. I absolutely do. He may I'm be not, talking about the doubling the entire debt of all his predecessors that Obama orchestrated. Uh, my with the, predecessors. With, the, with <laughs> all I mean, his predecessors. No, all of Obama. All of Obama's predecessors. I said. He doubled the debt of all, every previous president, and we had the worst recovery in, in, since World War II. Over the pri- this prior administration, I did not hear complaints from this side about this uh, about too much spending. You need a strong defense, and you it's, need. I think it's very. And you need a competitive uh-oh. corporate sector, right, Eric? Thanks, Eric. I think you need all those things, but I think you can do it. You can. You, you can think you need cradle-to-grave entitlements for the fifty-year wet but dream I of did. the. I did, not def- I, I did not defend that position. Oh, well, You're not hearing me defend that position. What I'm well, saying how much do you want to spend? Three and a half? Or how much do you want to spend on no, the human infrastructure? I would probably spend materially less, but we can have a longer conversation about that. Cheese will be next. Next on Squawk Pod, the points guy. Whether you've got an itch to travel or ready for some retail therapy, Brian Kelly has the smartest ways to use rewards points that may have been piling up during the pandemic. If you've got credit card points, transfer them to airlines. There can be amazing deals out there. News you can use, and the points, too, right after this. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture-proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. We're back. This is Squawk Pod. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Becky Quick and Joe Kernan. More travelers are returning to the skies and airline points and miles deals. They are changing, which might mean your rewards are becoming, yep, less valuable. Joining us right now is an expert on all things airline points. Brian Kelly is the CEO of The Points Guy. And we talk about inflation a lot. Maybe there's inflation going on or, or deflation with miles. What are we going to do here, Brian? You know, it's not all bad news. There are some silver linings to the pandemic. Most frequent flyer programs have now made it easier to change or cancel tickets. Uh, so I've actually noticed that frequent flyer miles have become more valuable because they give more flexibility. If you want to cancel that trip for whatever reason, you can get all your miles back. But certainly, you know, it varies by program. But what I would tell people is if you've got credit card points, transfer them to airlines. There can be amazing deals out there. Okay, but let's talk about it. So for those of us who actually like to do the math and think we're clever and arbitraging what's happening here, where, where are the points the most valuable? When should we be, th- what, you know, what's, what's a mile worth today? When are we getting a good deal? When are we getting a bad deal? When should we actually use the miles? When, shouldn't, when should we wait? So look, the, the best is still international business class. Next week, I decided last minute to go to Paris, New York to Paris, Air France, there is award availability like I've never seen in my lifetime. 10 tickets, 115,000 miles round trip business class. I checked, it was an $8,000 flight. So airlines are still charging a huge premium for business class on many routes, but it's a screaming deal when you use miles. So I got nearly nine cents per point in value for my Amex points. 
because Amex now has 12 uh, transfer partners, uh, Air France was a 25% bonus. So instead of using 115,000 points, I use only 90,000 for round trip business class. So if you have the appetite to travel abroad, um, you know, going to Europe business class, this is the best time of year to go to. There's, you know, far fewer tourists than in the past. Uh, but Delta, you know, even domestically, they just came out with the fair sale. They want you to use your miles. We saw Delta's charging as low as 6,000 sky miles one way for Seattle, New York. Just one okay, so you're, you're so. arguing right now, which, which of the airlines do you think have the best deals? Which have the worst? You know, I think when you look at the value of Alaska Airlines has really valuable miles. United is a top contender. Um, but it really just depends. Each airline has its, you know, uh, bright spots. What about credit cards? Are you an Amex guy? Are you a Chase guy? You know, Amex and Chase are neck and neck. Amex has more partners. Chase has some more valuable ones like uh, transfer partners like Hyatt. So it really just depends. But Amex and Chase points, you can't go wrong. But the trick is, and we've got to talk about this, you got to transfer the points from the card directly to the airline rather than go through the card program. Absolutely. You know, for example, Chase just added Aeroplan, which is Air Canada's loyalty program. It's only 70,000 miles one way to go business class anywhere in the U.S. to Europe. You know, if you book through their portal, you're going to get 700, maybe $900 ticket. So you're flying coach if you book directly. But if you figure out the transfer game, you can fly for the same amount or less in business class. That's where right. the real but value here's is. Here's the thing I've never understood about the transfer game. Why? Why is the deal so much better in the transfer game? And is the the issue that once you transfer, you can never go back? Correct. Once you transfer to an airline, you can't say, oh, I want my chase points back and try to reverse okay, it. Okay, so let's talk about way. this. Let's get very practical, because I think a lot of people who are watching have had this, have dealt with this before. You can't actually book the flight before you have the miles in the account. So sometimes there's this little chicken and egg problem. Do you know what I'm talking about here? There is some airlines, if you call, they will hold an award. Uh, we've got a, a blog post at the Point Sky airline loyalty programs that will let you, do, let you do that. But there is a level of risk. And exactly to your point, where there's high risk, there's high reward. And that's how it works with loyalty programs. If you transfer, there could be changing availability. But in general, once you educate yourself on how to you know, transfer your credit card points to airlines, you can get tremendous value. One example, Emirates is now adding back up to 90% capacity starting in November from their U.S. gateways. You can fly to Dubai for 100 32,000 miles, one way in first class, a $10,000 ticket. So, you know, there are huge rewards for those who, who can take on the and risk. And is anybody out there right now actually just buying miles from people? I mean, there, you know, there was it is sort a of a marketplace for that, right? At there point. Is, I don't recommend it. If you buy, you know, a lot of, if you see Google ads, you know, half off business class, generally what those people are doing is buying frequent flyer miles and booking you tickets. The airlines find out they can not only cancel your flight, but take all of your uh, uh, miles away. So I do not recommend that. One last thing, I think over the pandemic, people have had tons of miles because they haven't traveled. Uh, we have the Point Sky app now, which will actually give you your net worth. It'll track all your major airline miles and credit card points. And I think it's important for people to visualize how many miles they have and don't let them keep racking up. Over time, they will lose value. So use your miles. Uh, there's no better time to do it. Ryan, uh, appreciate seeing you. It's fun. I've been following you for so long and I, uh, I constantly click on that website. So I'm, I'm glad to see you. Appreciate it. We'll hope to see you again soon. 
That's Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for tuning in. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, listen and follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Tell a friend, tweet us, all that good stuff. And we'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.